Hey everyone, this is Blake. Really quickly before the start of the show, I just wanted to give a shout out to one of the reviewers of my podcast on iTunes. Brett number one writes the subject line, how did that person get that job? And it says, I ask that question to myself almost every time I meet or see someone in an unusual career. The problem is I'm never in the position to get into a conversation to ask them about it. The half hour intern has solved that problem. I now kick back with my favorite beverage and, and I find out just how and why the person ended up with that job. By listening to these interviews, I find out how important it is to follow your passion. As the saying goes, find a job you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. These people have found that. Give it a listen. You won't be disappointed. Brett, first of all, thank you so much for reviewing the show. And I'm so happy that you listened to my show with the beverage in your hand. I'm pretty sure that that is the way it is meant to be enjoyed. So kudos to that. And yeah, your question that you wanted answered of how are people doing these awesome careers and awesome hobbies for a living is the exact question that I was always asking myself, which is why I started this podcast. So I'm glad I was able to answer some of those questions for you and hopefully for some other people out there as well. If you'd like to have a chance at having your review read on the podcast, either go to iTunes on your computer or the podcast app on your phone and simply search for the half hour intern and then click on the podcast and you can leave a review straight from there. Thank you so much. Now on to the show. And at the same time, I was also earning. Your, your parents are just sitting there like fingers crossed so much the whole time that you're going to just hate it or totally. fall and break your arm For- or who knows what. <laughs> For sure. Probably the only time a parent would hope their child to break their arm. Definitely. <laughs> I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Track driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. Do you have the spirit of an eight-year-old girl trapped inside of you? Or are you tired of this city living and ready to leave it all behind and connect with your roots? Well, then today's episode is just for you. We are going to be speaking with Janelle Swanson about the hobby of horseback riding. In the interview, Janelle is going to tell us about the different types of horseback riding, how you could get started with the different types of horseback riding, what the best recommendations would be for you if you were living in a rural area or even if you were living in a city. Um, what the cost looks like to get started horseback riding, which is much, much lower than I would have thought, and just some great stories about what makes horseback riding such a great hobby. So without further ado, here is horseback riding. Janelle, thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Uh, So why don't you start out with how you got started with horseback riding, and we'll take it from there. I was a lot like many little young girls at the age of seven, like enthralled with horses. I just like, I thought of them as mystical and, you know, unicorns (laughs) and horses were like equivalent in my mind. Well, we had My Little Ponies as a kid. So there were actual mystical horses running around. Yeah. I mean, My Little Ponies have actually made a comeback recently. They're like, they're like crazier now. They're like long legged and, and like longer haired and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing was like, you know, I just, I mean, horses were like the, the real life equivalent of a unicorn, which was pretty, a pretty cool thing. You know, it's like this mystical creature that actually had like exists sort of. Um, and so I always had, you know, these visions and dreams of like having a white horse and galloping, you know, bareback through like along the seaside. And I wanted to make it happen sort of like, and you know, I, I started out by begging, 
um, my parents for a horse, which was probably... I'm sure that went really well. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably like like the worst thing a parent can hear. <laughs> Mom, yeah. I want a horse for my birthday. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? And it's not like my parents were like equestrians by any means. So, you know, they, they were good parents. And How wealthy is your family? Um, they're middle class, okay. middle income. I mean, they, they could afford it, but it, you know, my mom at the time was like going back to school. It was like terrible timing to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, they had like one income. My dad's a farmer and my mom was a teacher at the time. So yeah, it wasn't like the sort of thing that was like, like you don't have like Jay-Z and Beyonce as parents. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have Blake Fletcher's parents. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, so anyways, I, uh, like I begged for a horse and they said, okay, well let's, let's not just like stomp on your dreams and say, no, let's get you riding lessons because you know, they, my mom had sort of always like wanted me to be involved in this and that. And it was always her dreams for me. Like she wanted me to be a ballerina. So she put me in ballet and why, why does that happen? Why does this happen? It's some like feminine, like, like, well, I guess, or masculine, like desire for your child to do what you never got to do in life. Yeah. I think that's part of it. And actually now as I get older, I think that there's also probably a piece of it that, so like, let's say your dad, if you're a guy and your dad tries to get you to play basketball because he used to play basketball, that might be because that's kind of the only thing in his wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. And like, let's say you decided to try out for football instead, Mm -hmm. then your dad now kind of feels like a schmuck because he can't give you any advice on the thing that you chose, but he knows that he can give you advice if you choose basketball. Yeah, totally. And my mom even told me like straight up, she's like, oh, I wanted you to be a ballerina because I wish I was a ballerina. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was like her unrequited dream for herself. Yeah. So she wanted me to follow those footsteps. Yeah. But I had other plans yeah. and I was into horses Yeah, and she, you know, so my parents said, yeah, let's put you in lessons. And they would thought, I think they thought it was going to be like, Oh, she'll try it. She'll hate it. You know? And sure enough, I loved it. And my trainer like raved about me. I was kind of young to start. And the trainer said, I normally don't take how old were you? Seven. Okay. She said, I normally take eight year olds only. <laughs> and I was like a year away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I was mature for my age. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she, like, and I, this was, like, maybe nine months into my lessons. I was taking them, I think, one week, once per week or once every two weeks. And I was also in 4-H, which is, like, this sort of um, agricultural, like, awareness program. that You can have, like, 4-H in various areas, like, various types of livestock um, will have a 4-H devoted to it. Um, horses have one. So my parents also put me in 4-H. And so that, those were sort of my requirements. I had to like go to 4-H and I had to take lessons and then they would talk after that. Yeah. And at the same time, I was also earning... Your, your parents are just sitting there like fingers crossed so much the whole time that you're going to just hate it or totally. fall and break your arm For, or who knows what. <laughs> For sure. Probably the only time a parent would hope their child to break their arm. Definitely. <laughs> So totally like, and, and sure enough, it was like my dream, like come true. I loved every minute of it. And, and at the end of like maybe nine months in like this 4-H thing, there was a 4-H horse show. And so my trainer like took me to the horse show and like had me ride her horse in some classes. And it was like, I still remember it as like the proudest moment, probably the proudest day of my life. I remember my number. I was number 43 and it's still my lucky number to this day because I, I got the high points award. It's like the, basically you enter all these classes 
And then at the end of the thing, they say, um, you know, who had the most points, like, accumulated throughout the, the show. Is that... Okay, so, like, what are the things that you accumulate points on? It's not, like, a good behavior award. It's, it's like... No, it's not Miss Congeniality. <laughs> it's sort of like... It's sort of like the, you know, beauty pageant winner, if you will. Like, yeah. you, you know, you each class, it's, like, a different type of discipline um, or, like, a sub-discipline therein. So, there was, like... What, at that time, I was writing Western. So, I did, like, a Western pleasure class where I just rode around in a circle with a judge in the middle. And it was, like, a partial gymkhana, which is also a type of... It's sort of like a race... Um, but like a relay race, like you go, or not a relay, but like a obstacle race, like you go around like barrels and whoever's the fastest, mm -hmm. like gets the prize for that like class. So I was like really young at, for this show. So I was in like a young age bracket and you know, in my age bracket, I got the high point award. And strangely enough, I remember seeing like the, all of this, um, the awards and looking at the biggest one, and for some reason that was the one that they, and I, like, I was like, wow, whoever gets that award is going to be so, like, so cool. And I fucking got it. It really? was like, yeah, that was the high point award that they re gave to the high point person in my age bracket. Was that, like, a transcendent cool experience for you? Like, before that, were you, like, nerdy kid in the class, and then after that, you just started walking around like your shit don't stink, and you're just, like, <laughs> you, like, walk, walk to school with your trophy in hand and stuff? <laughs> I wouldn't say that because it wasn't really like something that other kids identified with as being cool yeah, necessarily. Yeah. So, I mean, at the show, I was probably like the coolest one. Yeah. But like at school, I still remained. Um, you still smelled like a horse. Yeah. <laughs> still... <laughs> That's not good. Yeah. I still like picked my nose and like. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Did weird things, arm wrestled the boys. So, anyways. Um, yeah, that was like for sure like a game changer for me. Like that if if I didn't wasn't in love with horses before that, that like solidified my fate. And yeah. my parents were really smart and like they they had me not only like earn it from like a um a, a being involved standpoint, but they also had me earn to actually get my own horse. They made me earn it from from basically a um being good, to, you know, a good kid, like a, a civilized standpoint, they had me earn it through these like little star chart. I had to basically earn 500 little star stickers and I could earn like a star by doing, and I had to do it within a year and I could earn a star by going to bed at nine o'clock without complaining. I could earn one by like doing a chore. I could earn one by like doing, um, yeah, and being like really respectful to my parents for the entire day. So I could earn like up to three stars in a day. And I had to do it by the end of the year, something like that. And so, sure enough, I did. Like, and I remember I barely made it, too. I was, like, budgeting my last month. And, yeah. and so throughout that same time, I was, like, riding and, like, participating in 4-H. And I, I proved my worth by the end of it. And then they had to get me a horse. And, you know, there was a budget involved. They were like, okay, we, we can't spend this much. But the buying of the horse budget is, like, just a drop in the bucket. You know, once you buy it, you have to spend a lot of money. So... Um, to just keep it alive and to yeah. board it and stuff. So let's talk about those costs really quick then. So mm -hmm. what kind of cost are you looking at for a horse for like a starter horse? What kind of cost are you looking at for upkeep? Yeah. Um, I will. So my horse was certainly a starter horse. Um, my, and at the time this was like in the early nineties. So, um, my horse was a pretty, you know, a pretty decent starter horse range for a kid's horse at that time was like, like, 1500 to like $3,000. And I think my parents like maximum was like, like 
2000. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I certainly wasn't going to get the best like starter horse. I would, but I was going to be able to afford something. Yeah. Um, so we went to Phoenix. We lived in Arizona, the, like Lake Havasu at the time. We drove to Phoenix with a random person that my mom met at the stables to act as our like mentor or whatever. And, um, she like, and we looked at like seven different horses throughout Phoenix and like the one that I just absolutely fell in love with. I don't know the, the, like the lighting was perfect. It was like misting (laughs) when I rode her. She was just this, like, I I don't know. I just fell in love with her and no other horse could top her after that. Yeah. And she was about, she was 1500. I remember the price for that horse. Um, when we got her home, um, we realized she wasn't a very good kid's horse. Like, you know, her owner obviously and her had like a connection. So she was like really obedient to that owner. But mm-hmm. for me, like, you know, I got, tried to get right on and you know, she practically threw me off. So it was like, I realized I bit off a lot more than I could chew at that stage and yeah. like had to get ourselves a trainer. So that's another cost. So pretty much when you, when you're a youth rider, like not an experienced rider, um, you would need to have someone training you like long-term sort of on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. Um, and then you would also, you know, need a place to keep the horse. You need to feed it. You need to get it either like his hooves clipped or shoes put on. And so all of those costs together. That sounds crazy expensive. Yeah. So I actually lived in a city where it's extremely inexpensive to board horses. I kept my horse at a horse club which costs like $25 a month, which is insanely cheap. I think these, like, like around here, you could probably get away with like a hundred bucks a month at the cheapest for boarding. Northern California that you're referring to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or in general, like these days, I think that's like a pretty cheap price. Um, but I, you know, it can cost up to like probably a thousand bucks a month for like a all full service place. Yeah. So for the hundred bucks right now, what would that get you? Um, it would get you like, just a, a probably 12 by 12 stall that you you put your horse in, in a facility that maybe has like an arena that you can take it and ride it in or let it loose and mm-hmm. stuff. And then you'd pay for also shavings on top of that. You'd clean your own horse's stall. You'd pay for feed. You'd feed your own horse twice per day, three times per day. And you would like also basically nothing else is included other than that stall. And the use of the facility. That's okay. what a hundred bucks will get you. So I know renting is another option mm-hmm. or like paying per, per individual ride. Mm-hmm. So talk about those now. I assume if somebody is starting out, that's probably a better option. Yeah. So, so just to add it all up at that time in like the early nineties, we were, my parents made a budget for me and it was about 350 bucks a month in this extremely inexpensive city to keep my horse there. All expenses paid. So now what I actually do as an adult is lease the horse, um, which for me, I don't know why we didn't, well, we lived in a small town, so there wasn't really an option there, um, or as much of an option. But, um, so now what I do is lease the horse and I would highly recommend it if you're get first getting into it. Um, I pay in, like a really low rate, 200 bucks a month for, um, le- pretty much as often as I want to ride two to three times per week. And I don't have to pay for anything else. I get to use the trainer's tack. I get like full, basically access to her horse. It's a little bit limiting because, um, I can't really, I can't put someone else on the horse. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm the only person that can ride, so I can't like bring a friend. 
Um, I can't just go on a random trail ride without some sort of supervision because her insurance only covers me like on site. Yeah, yeah. So I sort of have to like stay in the same like on the on the property. So it's a little bit limiting, and I I used to like you know enjoy some of those freedoms in horse ownership, like yeah. riding. I feel like that would be the main thing that would be fun with a horse is just taking it like you know out in the wild. Totally, and especially as a little kid, like you know as a child, like I couldn't drive, you know, and I I could you know I was always with my mom, and like having you know anywhere I wanted to get, my parents had to take me, but with a horse, I could just get on the horse and like ride to town just ride down to starbucks totally just tie it up out front <laughs> exactly everyone's like oh my god there's that weird eight-year-old again what is going on <laughs> totally where's the hitching post in this starbucks <laughs> <laughs> so i mean with with limitations there i mean in a city there you know certain places are zoned for riding your horse so you can't really just like ride anywhere you want but like um you know you have more freedom than most little kids would just like you know having to go places having to have their parents take them long distance places and um you know sort of always having to have permission to go somewhere with a horse you kind of get that permission and you sort of can just you, you just gain a lot of freedom and I think that was like for me one of the biggest like calls of getting my own horse as a kid and now I'm still sort of missing that like I'm missing the freedom of like hopping on bareback and like feeling like one with the horse you know is that really difficult to ride bareback like that without no um it's not difficult I would definitely recommend having some you know balance in a saddle first before riding bareback because um your the horse can feel every little motion that you make. And, you know, if you're sort of falling all over the place, the horse isn't going to react well to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, you should have some experience under your belt before riding bareback. But it's not not too difficult. I mean, my horse that I... The first horse that I had that I mentioned um, that was, like, not a youth horse by any means, she actually performed better when I was riding bareback. I think the bit in the mouth and the saddle on her back just made her stressed. Yeah. And she would, you know, she didn't want that stuff. Yeah. And when I would ride her bareback with just a halter, like, just basically a thing around her head and a rope, she would perform beautifully. You know, I felt, like, much more connected and a lot more, like, like mutual love for each other. When yeah. In I can only imagine for sure. Like if you're a horse, that's got to just be so terrible to have this bit like yanked back in the back of your mouth. I feel like the place that horses actually care, the, their mouths are set up almost like, like they're meant to have a, something there. They're, they have teeth in the front and then they have like some teeth in the way back. And then there's a space of like gum that, that is like pretty much perfect, like width between you know that's there between their tongue and the roof of their mouth hmm. for a bit um and the bit is really you know i can say that it's probably not the most comfortable thing um but it's it's and for sure like a horse reacts when when you let you ease up pressure in any way like with your legs or with your hands in the on the reins you know the horse reacts positively that's like positive reinforcement for a horse just to relax mm -hmm. you know and so when the horse has responded to a cue you give it in a positive way reacting by loosening up is like the best thing you can do to like train your horse through positive reinforcement yeah 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 that's interesting yeah so let's dish out some more advice for people mm -hmm. um, prior to leasing a horse. Somebody's listening to this right now. They've never done anything on a horse. What would step one be? 
Find a trainer and take lessons. Someone who provides lessons for beginners. Um, I think lessons typically range from like really cheap is probably 25 bucks a lesson for like a, a half hour or an hour. Um, and I don't really know the time. Usually the trainer will sort of like, you know, they'll just like have you ride for as long as it makes sense to have you ride. Um, and yeah, that include, like, I mean, 25 bucks is like the cost for riding the horse. Mm-hmm, yeah. Wow. And for their instruction to have you ride the horse. So yeah, that sounds so much better than I thought it would be. Not necessarily. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously cost wise, but like the only horseback riding that I've ever really done has been, you know, those like cheesy trail rides it like you know in lake tahoe or Mm -hmm. wherever in like nice settings in california where it's like you and 10 other people and the horses are lined up and you're just like trotting along or like walking and that's that Mm -hmm. and it costs like 60 bucks and i'm just like i don't really see the allure of this whole horseback riding thing but if you actually got to cut loose a little bit more and it's Mm one-on-one and you know someone's giving you advice that sounds like a lot more fun totally and i can say like i find it unfortunate that that type of industrialized horse riding even exists. I mean, it's really like those horses probably go on multiple trail rides per day, like, you know, to, to earn enough money to pay for the upkeep of the business. It, it tends to be like, you know, the horses are used sort of as a commodity rather than as a, you know, a tool or, 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 or as a tool rather than as like a, a friend. Yeah. As a, as a, you know, companion, which is how they should be treated. Um, and I can say that, you know, I, I, I see a lot of abuse in those industries and, and the naked eye or like the untrained eye probably doesn't even notice it, but, um, I've, I've been noticing it a lot lately and, um, yeah, I, it, I, it also doesn't really provide a great experience. I hear of a lot of people like getting bucked off and thrown off and then they never want to like see a horse again and they're afraid of them. And yeah. it's like, doesn't create like a, you know, a good dynamic between man and horse. Yeah. To- or you're just freaking walking the whole time and co- I mean the horse is walking the whole time in a line of 10 other strangers mm-hmm. and you're uncomfortable like sitting up there if you're not used to sitting on a horse totally. and then you walk around for an hour and you like at the end for someone like me, it's like, I probably should have just gone for a hike in Lake Tahoe by myself and I would have really enjoyed that walk a lot more than, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I, I would really advise against that type of, of horse riding. If you want to ride a horse, find a trainer and take a lesson. And it's less expensive. So. Yeah, it can be for sure. And you get you you learn something rather than just walk away saying, "Well, I saw something, but it, you know, I didn't really like love the experience," like you said. Yeah. Um, or you found it boring. I mean, when you ride a horse, number one, there's also a difference in spirit of the horse and the quality of horse probably that a, a trainer would um, put you on a lesson horse who, who has spirit and who like, um, you know, you can learn something from, whereas those horses are probably, you know, their spirit is probably broken and, and, you know, they're just doing, following a, 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 a trail that they've followed 10 million times. Yeah. And, that's so sad. Yeah. So I would advise again, but I would definitely say, you know, if you want to get started, find someone who does lessons in your area. I think, you know, a simple Google search can help you. Um, there's a couple websites that you can go to, to find trainers in your area and horses for sale and lease and stuff like that. Yeah. So if you wanted to start out, you could, you know, let's say 25 to like 40 bucks or something like that, go and try some horseback riding. Mm-hmm. After that, if you fell in love with it, you'd be looking at about 200 bucks, 300 bucks to lease a horse. Mm-hmm. I think month. 200, I think 200 bucks is at the really low end of the spectrum. Um, probably up to 400. 
Um, as far as the lessons, yeah, 25 to 50 might be like a normal range for lessons, depending yeah. on where you live. And it sounds like unless you have the proper land that nowadays it would just make much more sense to lease permanently as opposed to buying your own horse. I mean, if you had a, you know, yeah. a farm, go ahead and buy your horse, but exactly like having a farm or living really close to a farm that, um, ha- has the facilities that you have the budget for, um, would be two prerequisites to actually buying one. You know, I, I considered buying one before I found my horse that I'm leasing now. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, the price or the cost to own a horse has increased since I was a a child in the nineties. Um, and, and I was, you know, not to mention like living in San Francisco, like, you know, the, the time commitment is almost impossible to make it work. So what are the other facets of this hobby? You mentioned that when you were younger, you did, um, Mm-hmm. some sort of competitions and mm-hmm. stuff like that. What are the different like faces to horseback riding? Yeah. So there's, um, a lot of, you can ride for basically for pleasure just to, you know, to, and a lot of times that will, that will entail like going on trails or going like, if you live in the countryside, just like riding your horse through the countryside. And like some people use their horses still to this day to like, um, if they live in farmland to like monitor their crops, um, you know, check kind of, you can like take your horse to the middle of the field and like check out the, how the seeds are doing. Um, if there's any weeds out there, stuff like that, that you can't see from the car. Um, and so there's still like ways that horses are utilized, um, for, for work. Um, but I would say mostly like trail riding is a common thing. Competition. Um, there's so many different types of competition. There's like basically two main um, disciplines. One is Western, which originated. It's mostly U.S. style of riding. Mm-hmm. It sort of um, had its roots in Spanish, like vaqueros that came over and um, were like emulated and used, like in the um, in the Wild West, to um, sort and the saddles are those big ones, you know, that with the horn and like the big stirrups and stuff. Those are the ones that like, I would say it's probably the most common discipline in the U S. Um, and it's, it's very like, you know, it was used for like roping, uh, cows when they got like out of line, like driving the cattle from one place to the other. And that's how it sort of got its, its start. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it's remained a a discipline of riding, but it's done for like show and pleasure now in the U S and as well, like rodeo and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All of that is sort of under the Western discipline. Okay. And then there's the English discipline, which originated, you know, it's like England (laughs) is a European style. If you go to Europe, you'll see most people riding in some sub discipline of English. Um, I don't think you'll find too many Western. Is it just much more proper there. than the way that we ride? Um, it's a, it's so it's a little. Its origins were. You are, have to have a cup of tea in your hand, otherwise <laughs> you're not doing it right. Well, yeah, its origins are like a little bit more high end. Obviously, like it, like the hunt, um, the fox hunting was sort of how like um, English style riding like got its uh, pleasure riding got its it, um, genesis. Um, so like you, they would have the horse and like chase after the foxes and you know, the, the Lords and ladies would, you know, look on and clap and stuff. So, (laughs) so the, the style is a little bit more, um, sophisticated, I would say. Um, the saddle is like much, there's a lot less leather there. It's just a sort of small thing. The, um, contact with the horse is a little bit, um, 
I think there's more contact with the horse. Um, and because you don't need to have that comfort and that utility of like the horn and all that, that stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's just two different preferences and both have their, their, um, both are actually really legitimate, um, showing styles in, in the U S. Mm-hmm. So I would say if you go to a horse show, you'll see just as many people participating as in, in English as in Western. What about more aggressive, crazy stuff? Do people like combine horseback riding with archery? Are there like competitions like that? Or, uh, yeah. do people still hunt on horseback? Yeah. Really good points. Um, hunting on horseback, probably. I, I don't know. You don't do it personally. Does, I don't so personally do it. You don't go out with your bloodhounds and no, yeah. <laughs> but I can imagine, I mean, you, you, you have to have a really good, like non, you know, a horse that, so another thing, police horses, that's a great example of a, a horse that is like bomb proof. Weirdest thing in the world. Yeah. Like, why is that even a thing? Or like a bike cop. Like what, who are you stopping? Who are you stopping? <laughs> That is ridiculous. <laughs> on a horse, you'd be surprised. Like, a, like a horses are really great for riot control because they're a large presence that can sort of like snake their way through a large crowd. Whereas, like, um, but would it, like, I, I, I guess is that maybe what you meant when you said bomb proof? Because mm-hmm. obviously, a bomb is going to blow up the horse. But you mean like they don't get startled easily? I guess that's right. Yeah. Okay. At the stables that I used to keep my horse out in Havasu, there was a guy, a, a policeman there, who had horses that he trained for, for like police riding. And I think he he there was no use for them in Havasu, but I think he sold them or trained them for like police forces in Phoenix and wherever. And it was so interesting to watch him train the horses. He would like he would spend like I would be there, and he would spend the entire time I was there just putting a blue tarp on the horse and then taking it off and then putting it on and then taking it off. And like just two hours of that. (laughs) (laughs) I get this picture of also just getting all up on the horse's face like, yeah, or like banging pots and pans right next to it. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like, and you'd be surprised at the things that startle a horse. Anything that moves unpredictably is going to scare a normal horse, you know, like a horse that hasn't been trained to like, you know, be calm in those situations. Yeah. So tarp is a great example of something that moves unpredictably with the wind and yeah. like, horses hate it. They're so scared of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's like banging pots and pans with like, there were definitely some noise. Like I would hear him doing random stuff with like a, like musical instruments and stuff with the horse. So dang, I got to interview somebody like that. That'd be so interesting. Yeah. Um, cool. Why don't you tell us about Okay, you mentioned one when you were younger, like mm-hmm. your best young experience of horseback riding. What mm-hmm. is your best horseback like riding experience as an ever adult. or as an adult? Huh, I had something recently um, when, you know, on the horse that I'm leasing now, she's really beautiful. She's an Arabian, which is the breed that I love the most. Um, and I just feel like I found her like in such a uh, serendipitous way. Um, and and you know, it's really like the horse that and I remember riding one day around like the arena and, you know, just observing her. She's, she's really well-schooled in multiple disciplines and she's just a, we have a really great connection. And I remember, and I just like was riding around and just appreciating that. And the fact that like, this is like my childhood dream horse now, mm-hmm. finally, as an adult, I like materialized her, you know? And I, and I, I had this, like, it triggered this like memory of that freedom that I used to feel and the excitement I used to feel as a child. Mm -hmm. Like, 
you know, every time I'd go to the stables, it was like butterflies in my stomach. And like, as an adult, there's not many moments where you feel that way anymore. Yeah, you know, totally. every experience you've had is sort of like lost its luster and like even new things that like would have excited you as a child, like sort of don't. And like, I got a taste of it, a glimpse of it, a really rare glimpse of that feeling of, um, you know, that reminder of like what freedom it is to have this animal and, and, and to like share like a, a you know, share a ride with it. It's just a beautiful thing. Yeah. How about, I know you're a yogi. So like, what is it like to have this animal, uh, like care for you and you care for this animal? Like it's obviously great having a dog because they're always happy to mm. have you around and they show you a lot of positive emotion, mm. but with a horse, it is physically carrying you around and like doing this job for you and trying to do this job right for you. You yeah. know, it, do you think about that or and do you feel connected to your animal? I, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you asked that because recently I've been having these sort of like moral qualms with domesticated animals in general. <laughs> and I'm like examining within myself if it's like, you know, if it's even morally right to, domestic you know to keep a domestic animal and like horses aren't we all domestic animals Janelle well that's a really good point you know it's like I think we're sort of we confine ourselves in these homes and like you know surround ourselves with these things and like you know we try to do that with other with animals and sort of they become like in some way our slaves but it's like a mutually beneficial like enslavement I guess that they, that somehow these animals have like accepted over generations, um, which is a beautiful thing as well. Um, but I, I can say like with my horse, you know, I sometimes I was discussing with my trainer, like what would happen if I just like took cachet cachet is her name and put her like outside and let her go free. She was, and Stacy was like, my trainer was like, I would have a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I was like, no, but like, like uh, physically what would happen to her? Would she die? And she was like, here, yes. So like she would go to the nearest alfalfa field and she would gorge herself until she died, until her stomach was exploding with like too much richness and she would eat herself to death. Literally. Is that a problem with alfalfa or that's anything? That's a problem with two, with an overabundance of rich foods that would never be found in nature with animals that are that have become domesticated. Right. You know, like, um, if you took it, put a dog in like a, I don't a know, meat factory, a meat factory, it would probably do the same thing. Yeah. Let it set it loose in there, you know? And so, but her comment was, yeah, you take this horse to like BLM land in Montana and set it free. Like he'll find their pack animals. They'll find a herd and like run with it and like keep each other safe. And then that's it. She would die a happy life, live a happy life and die, a, you know, maybe not as old as she'll die in captivity. She'll probably live longer in captivity just because of the elements and stuff being shielded. But, um, you know, she would experience freedom. And, you know, I was like realizing that I was like, Oh man, I just want to like buy horses and set them free now. (laughs) And I sort of, So rather than thinking about how you and the horse are supporting each other, you're just thinking about how you're totally screwing this horse over. Sort of. I mean, I, I definitely see that, that she has a happy life and that she's cared for and that she, you know, she does things to herself that are like, like she, the other day, like was like mad at the horse next to her and she like put her leg through the fence 
and got it caught there and then put her other leg through the fence. (laughs) So then like the trainer comes over and sees her like that. And then her, you know, her legs are all, and then she's cared for, you know, rather than like having to limp around and like, like, you know, heal naturally or not and get infected and who knows what, like, you know, she, she gets treatment and, and she is like completely sound throughout the whole process. Whereas in the wild, you know, if she had like found herself upon like a brook and tripped and fell and like on the rocks, you know, she might not have healed from that. So I, I so this is pure speculation and might be total BS. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. But if I had to guess over the entire history of time, if we've been able to domesticate an animal like everybody obviously knows the story of how dogs came about i don't know how horses got domesticated i assume in a very similar way but i assume if an animal became domesticated it allowed itself to be domesticated and it more or less wanted to be domesticated Mm -hmm. to or at least certain of them wanted to become domesticated and Mm -hmm. now these are of that bloodline of the ones that wanted to become domesticated because i would have to imagine Mm -hmm. that in places like africa when you had warring tribes that a lot of people were like i'm totally going to go and domesticate those rhinoceroses over there that's the perfect war animal or oh i'm going to domesticate this lion or this lion that did not work out too hot for anybody and those animals are still completely wild and the only animals on the planet that got domesticated were ones that were okay with being domesticated. Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, to that point, I think, you know, having like a, a willingness of spirit to allow yourself to, you know, share that symbiotic relationship with a human is something that's like a prerequisite for domestication. And horses certainly have that, you know, it's not too difficult to even domesticate a horse that has for generations been in the wild. You know, you could go out to that same BLM land, find a horse that has never been, you know, captivated or with from bloodlines have never been captivated. And you can, you you can train it, you can ride it probably within a couple months, you yeah. know, and and I think you know that that speaks to its its willingness to like you know be to take the the generosity of humans and to like understand that, and so they 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 do know when a person is like is there for their benefit sort of. And I think that's, that's a good thing. And, and like, as long as the, the really heartbreaking thing is when people, humans take advantage of it and like, you know, don't treat a horse, the horse has been born in captivity and you don't treat it well, you know, you don't yeah. feed it enough and you don't, you know, you use it as a commodity. I find that super heartbreaking Yeah, and definitely. it, but it, and it still happens. And, and I think so much of like slavery, you know, I think of it like, like, um, you know, there were probably slave owners that were like, I treat my slaves super well, you know, and like, and, and they're happy and they, but they're, they're not free. And that's the thing that like, um, you know, I think animals sort of have a little bit more choice. Like they can say, there's a point where they can say, Hey, I can become, um, I can be free or I can like, I can sort of choose to like, like allow this, this enslavement for my own benefit. Mm -hmm. And in some ways I think horses have done that over time. You know, there's sort of was a choice that was made by them, but then humans should not take it for granted. We should, we should strive to treat them well. Yeah, no doubt. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. Any last words of advice for anybody considering riding a horse? Yes. Yes. So, um, I would say for anyone whose kid is asking them for a horse, do not, discredit them. Don't just like shake your head and like play it off as like a, you know, phase or whatever. Um, 
number one, because, you know, you should nurture your child's interests. But number two, because it, like for me, myself, like, I was an only child. I didn't have chores. I didn't know like the meaning of responsibility. I didn't understand like I had no examples of a requirement to be responsible. And then suddenly when I had this like 2000 pound animal that I was solely responsible for, um, it taught me something you can't learn anywhere else. You can't learn it in school. You can't learn it from like, you know, just getting chores around the house and having to like pick up after yourself or you get in trouble. Like you are responsible for a life and it's a life that you love. It's like a, it's like sort of having a child or even, but some, or a dog, but like more. A dog that your parents don't care about. That exactly. You have to be the only one that takes care of it. That's exactly right. And I would highly recommend if you, if you care, you know, if you have a child that's interested in it, then you probably have a child that is, um, you know, that's, that's look, that's, that takes care and that is looking to give, um, you know, that's empathetic. I can say that like, you know, my having a horse, like taught me a lot about, um, you know, empathy and like how to make another life better and how to maintain another life that I couldn't have learned anywhere else. And I probably had that innate desire to, to do that. And if your child has that, then please nurture it because it can be super rewarding for, you know, your, the longevity of your child's life as well as your own. Yeah. That sounds good. I like it. (laughs) Janelle, thanks so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you.